making moving disciples. One thing I tend to pay attention to whenever I get a new job or I go into a new building or I'm in a new area, one thing I pay attention to is the chairs. I think about it at churches too. How comfortable are the pews? Can you see everything? I just went to a banquet last night. I thought about the seating arrangement. What could I see? Could I see the keynote speaker from where I was sitting? Could I hear the keynote speaker from where I was sitting? I pay attention to chairs. I think some of it was reinforced when I started working at Exxon because anytime you got a new desk at Exxon or you were working in a new place, you had to have uh, what they called an ergonomic assessment. Somebody would come and make sure that my computer screen was the right height and my chair was adjusted properly and my desk fit in the right spot because you were going to be spending some time sitting on the job. And they wanted to make sure you didn't hurt your back and sue them. I mean, make sure that you were comfortable where you were at. Yeah, and so they would inspect the work area for ergonomic correctness once we got at it. And so I look at whether or not I am comfortable when I sit down. We have to sit down a lot for trainings. We have to sit down to eat. Uh, We sit down to watch the refs try to extend the NBA finals. Uh, (laughs) We spend time sitting. We spend time sitting and There was a book that was written about sitting down, and it was about that pursuit, and it was called Now I Sit Me Down. And it was written by an architect named Withold Rubshinsky. And what he said, he talked about the history of chairs, the Kalismo, which had a curved back for ancient Greece, and the yoke-back chair from the Song Dynasty, which included one of the earliest uses of lumbar support, the modern ergonomic desk chair, the rocking chair that President Kennedy used when he had back problems. Uh, There's the dentist recliner that you sit in so that the dentist can drill in your teeth like I have to tomorrow. Uh, Ripshinsky explains that the history of chairs is social. Uh, different ways of sitting and changing manners and attitudes of varying states. He noted that the ancient Chinese switched from sitting to floors to chairs and talked about the, 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 the favorite chair of middle, middle America, the Barca lounger. It traces its roots back to an art school in Germany. He even looks towards the future, suggesting that we may invent a chase-like seat designed for browsing around the smartphone. But there's the main point of the story as Ripshinsky, Mr. Ripshinsky searches for uh, the perfect chair. He says that the search for the perfect chair will never end because we're not designed to sit. We're designed to always be moving. 
Uh, we're not designed to be stationary in anything. We're designed to be moving. I remember my football coach saying all the time, I don't care what you do as long as you do it as 100 miles an hour. My college football coach said never to second guess yourself because when you second guess yourself, you hesitate and you get hit and you get hurt. Uh, we are not meant to stay still in anything, not just sitting. We are not meant to stay still in anything in life. We are designed to keep moving forward. We are supposed to keep learning. We are supposed to keep growing. We are supposed to keep working with people. We are supposed to keep doing things. We are not supposed to stay stationary in any form of our life. Amen. We are designed to keep moving. We are designed to keep moving mentally. We are designed to keep moving emotionally. We should be growing. Anything that is not growing is dead. So we are designed to grow as a people. We are designed to grow and move forward in everything that we do. And that is what is going on with Matthew in this, the gospel according to Matthew in the text that we heard. This is what's going on with the disciples. Now is a time where the, the, the society would have said it is okay to be still. It is okay not to move forward. Here you have the disciples in chapter 28. They are right after the death and burial of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This would have been okay. This would have been an okay time for them to do nothing. Here they have their leader killed like a common criminal, mocked and beaten and scorned, and they scattered. Because they didn't want anything about Rome had made it clear. Oh, you think you have the king of kings and lord of lords? Let me show you what we do to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Do you want some of this too? So they have scattered. The bad guys are in control in Matthew 27. Or so they think. You have this revolutionary that's out here causing all this ruckus, ruckus, upsetting the way things are done, changing the natural order of things. And they took care of him in Matthew 27, or so they thought. But Matthew does not stop at chapter 27. There is a chapter 28. Uh, 28 tells us that even though things may get rough, Jesus is still unmoved and on a mission. You may be in a chapter 27 point in your life right now. You may be in a situation where you don't know up from down. You may be in a situation where you think instead of being on top of the world, the world is on top of you. But there is going to be a chapter 28 in your life. Chapter 27 might say, I don't know where my help is going to come from. But a chapter 28 will tell me I can look to the hill from which cometh my help. A chapter 27 may tell me that it's all over. But a chapter 28 tells me that weeping may endure for a night. But joy may come in the morning. A chapter 27 time of my life may tell me I don't know how I'm going to make it through this time. But a chapter 28 tells me that my God shall supply all my needs according to the riches and glory in Christ. Uh, my, these things might be happening in chapter 27 where I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But a chapter 28 will tell me I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Don't stop at 27. Don't stop at 27. 
Ah, we got to keep going because if we keep moving, we'll make it to our 28th. We just got to keep getting up in the morning. We got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And then when we look back over that time, when we get to that 28th, we'll be able to say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I have been? You just have to keep moving. Don't allow what's going on right now to stop your progress. And so we get to this 28, and they're told to meet at the mountain of Galilee, uh, at a mountain in Galilee. Ah, here passed the go again. I got a couple of pet peeves I'll just share with my, my visiting brother. I have some pet peeves, and one of them is about, you know, biblical literacy, and one of them uh, you know, getting into the Bible and not letting people who don't even call themselves Christian be able to quote the Bible more than you. That's one pet peeve. I, I, people who grow up in the church and then decide to go to another religion, and, and I, I, those kind of pet peeves bother me, but another one bothers me well. I, I, don't, I, I, I won't tell you what it is. I'll just see if you can figure it out when I start talking about it. How did the disciples get to the mountain? <clears throat> okay, so... Verse 16 of chapter 8. I'm in the book. I'm not making any of this up. I'm in the book. All right. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. How did they get to the mountain? Well, let's go up to 11. Uh, the soldiers were bribed. Da, 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 going. Uh, they were going to behold the guard city. No, nope, nope, that ain't there. Let's, let's go up a little further. Let's go up to uh, verse 9. Uh, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him at the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Who's they? Well, let's go up just a little further. I'm still in the book. Still trying to figure out pastor's pet peeve. Uh, that was verse 9. Let's go up to verse 1 of chapter 28. <clears throat> I'm still in the book. I ain't, I ain't making this up. So if anybody got a problem with it, you know, take it up with the book. Don't take it up with pastor. <laughs> yeah. Verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone from the door and sat on it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow, and as the guards shook for fear of him, they became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. So the disciples had scattered. 
Because after the crucifixion, after seeing their king, their lord of lords, executed like a common criminal, we wear the cross in celebration of what he did. But that would kind of be like wearing an electric chair back then or, or a lethal injection needle. That's what they gave to the common criminals. And we wear it, but they saw that and they scattered. But the women went to the tomb. And the women were told to go tell the disciples to meet at Galilee. Now, I'm just wondering what would have happened if they'd have said no. Because somebody told me women ought to seek to keep silent in the church. Check, check, two, two, one, two. We get 16 of chapter 28. Because of what happened in chapter 1 through 10, I mean, uh, uh, verse 1 through 10. I'm just saying, if we were to take that they need to keep silent mentality about it, what is the gospel? What did we say in the Apostles' Creed that he was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified dead and buried, and the third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Who was there when he was born? Who was there when he died? Uh, Who was there when he rose from the dead to see the empty tomb? I'm just saying. We get to the mountain in Galilee based on a woman. Again, don't take up the problem with me. Take it up with the book. I'm just saying. Not me. The book. And they get to this mountain. The 11 disciples meet on a mountain in Galilee as they were instructed. And they meet on this mountain. And when they get to the mountain, there is a mixed reaction. Let the church say mixed. Uh, Some worship him and and others still doubt. Uh, The first thing you need to do whenever you get into the presence of of the Lord is worship. Uh, The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible says that I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make the boast of the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When you are dealing with these rough times, when you are dealing with the times where you think that everything is bad, when you are dealing with these times like the disciples were, the next thing you need to do is worship. You need to be able to worship In spite of your doubt, you need to be able to worship in spite of what's going on because God is still good. And if you are able to worship, you'll be able to take your mind off of the situation and you'll understand that you serve a bigger God than whatever problem you have going on in your life. And so they worshiped, even though some doubted, they worshiped and discipleship means that you are going to have to deal with doubt. You are going to have to deal with your doubt and you're going to have to deal with the doubt of those around you. It's expected. I mean, it's really expected. You expect people to just naturally believe that virgins give birth. You expect people to naturally believe that people raised from the dead. 
You expect people to naturally believe that somebody can put a hand on somebody and they open up the blinded eyes, heal the sick, and raise the dead? You expect somebody to naturally believe somebody can take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed a multitude of people? You expect somebody to naturally believe that they can say, Lazarus, come forth, and somebody come out of the tomb? You expect somebody especially to actually believe that they can touch the hem of somebody's garment and an issue that they had bent all their money on, all their time on, get healed by touching the master's garment it's hard to believe but that's why we have to keep pressing forward with faith and we press forward with worship Uh, discipleship means you're going to have to deal with the doubt in order to counter the wavering in your life you are going to have to worship and you are going to have to worship not just in the church Ah, not just in that hour you spend on Sunday and maybe that hour you spend on Wednesday if you go to Bible study. What you listen to ought to be a mindset of worship. What you think about the time you spend, you will not get much further. You will not be able to move just on what you do on Sundays. And so in order to counter the wavering, you have to worship. And if you are able to worship, you can get past the doubt. Uh, We make fun of a doubting Thomas. We talk about Thomas doubting in the Bible. uh, But Thomas wanted to see for himself. Thomas wanted to put his hands in the womb himself. And history tells us that when you look at the doubting Thomas, even though we call him a doubting Thomas, when it came time to actually do the work, the commission where he said, go preach out to all nations, Thomas was the one that went and left the Jerusalem area. That's how we got churches in India and all of these other places at the time because Thomas was able to, to, to spread the word. And that's why we have that Mar Toma Orthodox Church because he was one of the only disciples that actually traveled. The word still spread. But the one who we call a doubter went from doubting to doing. And so we have to worship to get rid of our wavering. Worship literally means how much something is worth to you. Uh, They say that you can tell who somebody's God is if you look at their checkbook. You can tell who somebody's God is if you look at how much time they spend on anything. Where's the majority of your time spent? Where's the majority of your talent spent? Where's the majority of your treasure spent? That's where you can tell what you worship. And so they had this mixed reaction, but the first thing they did was worship. And that ought to be the first thing we do whenever we have a problem. Worship. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your problems. He'll hear the faintest cry and he'll answer by and by. How many of you know that having a little talk with Jesus will make it all right? Taking the problem to Jesus is a a fantastic way to make sure it don't get out. I'm going to say that a little slower. Taking the problem to Jesus is a fantastic way to make sure it don't get out. They say that only two people, that two people can keep a secret only if one of them is dead. When you take your problems 
to Jesus, you can work it out. So the first thing we ought to do whenever we come into these troubles is take it to Jesus. The first thing we ought to be able to do when times get rough is worship. The first thing we ought to do when any time we run into some trouble is worship. That's how we learn that our God is a burden bearer and a heavy load sharer, that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. That's how we learn it, by spending that time walking with him and talking with him. So we ought to worship. And so they're on the mountain, and they have this mixed reaction. And once they get through the mixed reaction, they have a mandate. Let the church say mandate. Uh, They were commissioned. This passage is often called the Great Commission. A commission is an authority given by either God to human leaders or by God through human leaders to other humans or by human leaders to people enabling those persons to complete specific tasks. In obedience to God, Moses laid his hands on Joshua. He commissioned him to complete uh, something. Joshua was commissioned to succeed to go into the promised land. Uh, uh, and, and, and Nehemiah, the cupbearer, was commissioned. So was Ezra. He was commissioned. These people are set out to do a great work. And the disciples were being commissioned. They were being set out to do a great work. Up until now, what they were doing was for each other. What they were doing was benefiting the disciples and those who followed Jesus. But now Jesus says, now that I have risen from the dead, it's time for you all to go out and spread this word. It's time for you to make other disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them the ways and go forth. And so he gave them authority. Jesus had authority. And he had an assignment. And he had assurance. Uh, Jesus had authority. He had been given all power on uh, all authority in heaven and earth. And then they were given an assignment, and that was to reach and teach all nations. That's kind of hard to do. Especially during that time which the disciples were in. They, they didn't have planes and trains and automobiles. It was donkeys and horseback and foot. But they still were told to spread this out to all nations. That this man that the Roman people thought they had killed. Had raised from the dead and had all power in his hands. And because he did what he did, we now have access to heaven. And they had to go out and travel. And do that. But because they had a hard assignment, they had some assurance. Jesus told them that he would always be with them. Wherever they went, Jesus was going to be with them. It's good to know somebody is with you. And give you the ability to travel and go on about it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said uh, when he wrote, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. Christ says, I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over your whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit, I will give you a new self instead. I'll give you myself, and my own shall become yours. Those 11 that went out to help make other disciples gave their all. And uh, that's what C.S. Lewis said, but I got some Bible for that. Come here, Paul, in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives, but the Christ in me. That, that's not my life to live anymore. I'm giving my life to Christ. And all the old and, and all the things I may have done in the past, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things have passed away. And so these 11 disciples who were present when Jesus gave the great commission did not let the difficulty of the mission stop them from trying. They didn't sit on their hind parts. They got up and did what they could. And when they got up and did what they could, God went and did the rest. So we should not remain stagnant in our thinking. We should not remain stagnant in our worship. We should not remain stagnant in our studies. We have to move forward. And then we need to accept that there are going to be some hard things to do. But if we keep moving forward, God will help us. Loving your enemy, that's hard to do. But we have to keep moving forward. Turning the other cheek, that's hard to do. But we have to keep moving forward. Keeping our hearts and minds pure, that's hard to do. But we have to keep doing it for. Rejoicing, being glad always, that's hard to do. But we have to keep doing it and keep moving forward. Dealing with people who are stabbing us in our back and smiling in our face, that might be hard to do. But we got to keep doing it, not lusting after our fleshly desires. That's hard to do. But we have to keep moving forward to keep doing it. Forgiving other people of the things that they've done wrong, that has to be hard to do. But we have to keep moving forward so we can do it, not worrying about tomorrow. It's hard to do, but we have to keep moving and keep doing forward. Doing unto others as we would have them do to us, we have to, that's hard to do, but we have to keep moving forward. Being doers of the word and not just hearers only, that's hard to do, but we have to keep moving forward. Uh, but I understand that it's hard to do, but I have to look at those who have come before me, those who got hit with fire hydrants and dogs and still said we shall overcome. That kept moving forward. Those who were sharecroppers and got their own land taken from them and worked to the bone. That was hard to do, but they kept moving forward singing, we've come this far by faith. Leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He's never failed me yet. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. It might have been hard to step out of eternity and put on human clothes, but Jesus did it and kept moving forward, living a life that none of us could live. He, Jesus kept doing it and kept moving forward, giving his head to a crown of thorns. That was hard to do, but he kept on doing it. Kept moving forward, getting dressed up in a robe and blindfolded and punched. And they saying, prophesy, Jesus. Tell us which one of us hit you. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. Getting whipped with a cat of nine tails. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. Carrying a 300-pound cross all the way to Calvary. That was hard to do, but he kept doing it and kept moving forward. Giving nails, giving the hands to his nails. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. Getting pierced in his side. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. You're forgiving those people while they were killing him and saying, forgive us, Lord, but they know not what they do. That was hard to do, but he kept moving forward. It was hard for him to die, and it kept moving forward. It was hard for the centurion to say, surely, surely, this must be the Son of God. But he kept moving forward. It was hard for him to stay in that tomb, that borrowed tomb, all night Friday, all day Saturday. But he kept moving forward. So early, 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 he got up with all power in his hands. He kept 
power. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open. Generations. Yeah. 